Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome, everyone, to Soccer 101, the show that attempts to scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I am hosting today. I tried to keep Ryan Bailey's catchphrase, though it sounds a little bit better with that British accent. On today's show, we're tackling a topic that won't cause any furor online, never has copious (laughs) columns written about it in newspapers, and always makes Piers Morgan keep a level head. It's politics and football. Should be fun, should be spicy. To do so, to talk about it, I'm joined by Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. Hi, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, if you if you already think we bring politics into this podcast a bit too often, this this might not be the show yeah. for you. We we do get some <laughs> tweets complaining about that, but I think we both think that this is a, a relevant discussion, particularly uh, this week, and something worth highlighting. Yes, I think the the thing that I will be uh, people can be most interested by in this episode is is my attempts to maybe play devil's advocate and how quickly I abandon them. Entirely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I think this is mostly just going to be you and me talking about uh, politics in soccer and maybe how they've always been there. But we should provide a little bit of context for why we're talking about it this week because this is sort of an ever present thing. Uh, it goes back to to COVID and and before that. But even with the Brazilian elections of late, Brazilian footballers have been involved. Yeah. There's plenty of reason to talk about this, but there was one moment in particular this week uh, that that sparked our, our chat, Graham. Yeah, so the reason we're talking about this topic this week in particular is that Paul Mullen of Welcome to Wrexham fame, he, he's not just a reality TV star, he's actually a real-life soccer player who plays soccer matches, and uh, he posted a picture of his new boots this week. And on those boots was a message. Um, so I will, I will keep this PG 13. So F the Tories was that message. Not so polite on, on his boots. And the picture of those boots, um, with this message, it went viral on, on Twitter. I may have tweeted out myself, <laughs> but Wrexham released a, a subsequent statement where they said Mullen would be banned from wearing the boots in the game. And this is, uh, part of the statement. The club has adopted a neutral position on any matters with a political dimension and intends to continue to do so going forward so that was from the statement they said they didn't know that Mullen was taking those pictures at the racecourse ground which is what where the picture was taken and he's not going to be able to wear them during matches and obviously Paul Mullen isn't the first soccer player to to make a political statement or, or a protest so this seemed like the ideal time to look at football's often complicated relationship with politics and also some historical examples going back through the years. Yep. And I think the Paul Mullen example is also really interesting because if you haven't seen Welcome to Wrexham, you probably do not know who Paul Mullen is unless you are a fan of lower league football in England and the UK particularly. Uh, and so I think when you look at that photo, it's very clear why he has taken it where he has. You can see right behind it, if you haven't seen it, that it says Wrexham in the stands. It is in the stadium in the, the uh, what's it called? The, the race course. The, the race course. I always want to say, like, the Greyhound for some reason. The race course. Yeah. And, <laughs> and because... Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. But it's because 
he knows immediately that's going to get traction. He knows why people know who, know who he is is because of that show, or at least a lot of people do. And so I think it immediately uh, broadens his platform a little bit. And with footballers, uh, the more high profile you are, the bigger that platform is, the more opportunity you have to speak on these issues. And then comes the question, well, should they? Should they be speaking about these issues? Are they informed enough? Is it the right thing? Should they stick to sports is usually the message that they will get. It is in Gary Lineker's uh, Twitter replies with pretty much every single thing that he writes. So, Graham, the question then becomes, first for me, why are there rules about this? Why do clubs mm-hmm. take the stance they do? Why has uh, Wrexham come out with the we yep. take a neutral position on these things? Yeah, so first of all, I'm actually going to outline some of the, the rules that are actually Please. in the, the laws of the game. So law four of FIFA's laws of the game, which is the, the official title of, of that uh, document. There is a section that makes clear FIFA's stance on political statements and symbols within football. So it reads, The basic compulsory equipment must not have any political, religious or personal slogans, statements or images. The team of a player whose basic uh, basic equipment has political, religious or personal slogans, statements or images will be sanctioned by the competition organiser. Or by FIFA. So basically that is saying if you make a political statement on your shirt, on the the, the t-shirt you're wearing underneath your shirt, on your boots like Paul Mullen, then you are open to a punishment from FIFA. Also, I think some leagues and certainly the FA in England, they have similar rules. So there's pretty much a blanket ban on that sort of thing across across football. So so FIFA would argue that that blanket ban on political, st- political statements is easier for them as a governing body rather than having to act as, as the judge on which statements should be allowed and, and which, uh, which should be banned. So essentially, FIFA, to see it from their perspective, they don't want to set a precedent where you have one political statement that is you know clearly fair and justifiable and wouldn't really offend anyone and most people can get on board with, um, but then have another state statement that isn't so fair and isn't so justifiable using the precedent set by the first statement, if that makes any sense. They, they don't want to set that precedent. Um, and there's actually a quote from IFAB board member. So IFAB is the the body that sits alongside FIFA and they actually make the laws of the game that then FIFA adopts and um, imposes across the sport. So there's a quote from IFAB board member Jonathan Ford. He says, to determine what is right and wrong between different countries and cultures is very complicated. So it is easier to say it's got no place in the game. Um, and that is essentially the, the, the stance of FIFA Obviously, where things get a bit messy is actually deciding what constitutes a political yeah. statement or symbol. Um, for for instance, England's players recently, I think maybe Germany as well did this, they recently wore armbands that, that showed support for, for the LGBTQ plus community. FIFA allowed that fairly, I would say, because that to me isn't a political statement. Statement. Others would argue that it is. And obviously this, this sort of discussion will become more relevant over the next two months when the, the, the World Cup starts, with it being hosted in Qatar, where homosexuality is, is illegal. There will be protests, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's some statements made by players and, and teams on the pitch. Will FIFA consider that a political statement? Because the precedent they've set with England and, and Germany is that it, it's not. But maybe there would be a difference of opinion in Qatar where that very much feels like a political stance for homosexuality to be illegal. 
Graham, I'm already abandoning my devil's advocate approach, my neutral stance to ask you. <laughs> that feels to me like what FIFA are actually saying is we want to be able to determine when we think a thing is political and therefore not appropriate and that it's kind of up to us to decide if and when that is OK. So when we want you to ra- wear a rainbow armband, it's OK. If you want to fly a rainbow flag in the World Cup, well, we might reserve the right to say, no, that's a political statement and we're not OK yeah. with it. Yeah, and also the, 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 to look at the specific examples of those armbands that I mentioned, those rainbows, mm-hmm. rainbow armbands, the, the message was, was so nuanced to the point of, I would say, being pointless, where it was a slogan, where it, it was a campaign called One Love. You know, it didn't say anything like, you know, rights for LGBTQ community or anything like that. There was, there were the rainbow colors, but it wasn't, it wasn't particularly prominent. It was only within the logo, the One Love logo. So it very much felt like a bit of a cop out. And it was FIFA. It was, it was giving FIFA the, the evidence and, and, and the, the grounds to basically say, look, we're, we're doing things for, you know, LGBTQ plus uh, rights ahead of the World Cup, but actually not really doing anything at all. All right, Graham, I'm back to my devil's advocate position now. The, the hat is back on, the, the, the fake horns are on the head uh, for the devil's advocate portion of this one. Can you see a reality in which there shouldn't be politics, that, that that rule should be enforced and it should just be about sport, about, no, you're here as a collective group to watch these players play. It's about athletic endeavor and physical competition, and that's what it's all about, nothing else. Um, I think you will hear uh, a lot of people who say that politics shouldn't be in, in, in soccer, and, and we'll maybe come on to this, this part of the discussion a little bit later on, but I, I think that the right question is whether soccer can exist at all without without politics i would say the answer to that is no because soccer is about people and more than that soccer is a, is a reflection of people and, and clubs are reflections of cities and communities and national teams are, are reflections of, of 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 communities and i just don't think you can remove politics from communities and i find it most troublesome when clubs themselves silence their own players because it basically says to me well we don't care about you as people people have political views even people who think they don't have political views they do because so much in society is is linked to politics so if a club stand for things like their 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 fans being treated fairly their communities being treated fairly then that is that is political whether you like that or not and i think that is something that every club should stand for and from the club's perspective Many, they would argue they don't want players making political statements because of potentially the the commercial impact that it could have. Um, So I would argue uh, that in some cases, clubs are forgetting their societal and sometimes even moral duty by forbidding certain political statements by by players. And look, this isn't about me saying, you know, that a player... as, as should be allowed to wear a t-shirt underneath that says, you know, vote for this person in, in an election. I, my personal opinion would be that, that is, um, that, that maybe is beyond a certain line. And you can see why a club who will have fans, for example, for example, Wrexham is a traditionally a labor area of Wales. They voted conservative in the 2019 election so you could see that there, there, that might divide some fans that might not be something that is beneficial to the club I can understand yeah. why you, that would maybe be um, unacceptable for the club but when a club is forgoing their, their, their moral duty or societal duty by getting edgy about sponsors uh, they don't want anything that could hurt their bottom line things like lgbtq plus stances and human rights stances that's where that's where i don't really have any tolerance for for that so it's similar again to the logic by fifa it's just easier for them to have a blanket ban Mm -hmm. but i would argue that they are forgoing their responsibility as a club in some cases 
Yeah, to further illustrate your point, uh, there's the Michael Jordan quote uh, when he was asked to endorse, I think, a, a Democratic candidate. His response allegedly was Republicans buy shoes, yeah. too. And there is that I'm not trying to take a stance one way or the other, because ultimately that person just wants to use Michael Jordan's celebrity to get people to vote for them. So it's not quite uh, a, a like, I guess, fair exchange in my mind there. But then the counterpoint to that would be uh, I forget who what his name was, the Fleetwood town owner, though, who basically said, if you don't vote conservative uh, yeah. There could be economic changes. That means I might not be able to own this club anymore and we might go bankrupt. So it's up to you. Do you want the club to still exist? And right there is when you are sort of leveraging your position to force people to vote a certain way, to forcing them to act a certain way. And that is definitely for me where it crosses the line. So I think there's always going to be that that delicate balance that, that clubs and players have to walk. Uh, before we take a break, I would also just say to go back to the idea of what constitutes a political message. That is also, I think, the sort of ever-expanding grounds for debate. Uh, and for me, uh, front and center on this one is the Iron Front protest uh, that happened in Portland that spread to, I think, pretty much all of Major League Soccer and all the supporters groups or many of the supporters groups uh, where they wanted to fly uh, the, the symbol, the Iron Front, which, uh, front, which is what, anti-fascism, anti-monarchy. I forget what the other anti is in there. Uh, MLS said it was a political statement. Uh, I liked this summary from Michael Weinreb writing for The Ringer. Uh, quote, the confusion and frustration stemmed in large part from the word political in the MLS fan code of conduct. What did that word even mean in this context? The Timbers Army had long fl uh, flown not only pro-LGBTQ rainbow flags, but also banners in Arabic in the wake of Donald Trump's attempts to ban immigrants from several Muslim-majority nations from entering the United States. Uh, Levy tells me the Timbers Army had been flying anti-fascist flags since at least 2003. At one game I attended in September at a local broadcast, a, a local TV camera scanned through the crowd at Providence Park. It landed on a fan wearing a refugee's welcome scarf. So what the members of the army wondered was the line. And that to me is the question. It seems like it has to be nothing at all political related, but that then becomes impossible because then you get symbols that are like, like you can't say are directly related to political movements or political ideology, but might be. And so are you banning those? And, and then where does that line stop? Obviously, it stops somewhere. But I think once you start trying to police that, it gets very tricky. So let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's come back and talk about some times that politics and football were intertwined or instances when players or clubs or supporters have protested or uh, had politics become very much involved in what they were doing. Uh, and then we'll we'll have a broader maybe chat about should this be the case? Should there be politics? Will there be more politics? All that and much more still to come. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about the not at all contentious topic of politics in football. So, Grant, we're talking about like we were talking about Paul Mullen at the start. That's kind of mm -hmm. being the thing that was the inspiration for this episode. But there are other uh, moments in football where we do get politics and sport very much combined in a very public way. And I think the one that really comes to mind pretty much every single season is the wearing of poppies. So let's talk about that. Can you explain for people who are not as familiar why uh, British clubs, or at least English clubs, I'm assuming it's all yeah. of Britain, but it might just be England, uh, tend to wear the poppies on the shirt? Yeah, so when we're talking about uh, political statements, we've already established that there is a grey area where it is a little bit difficult to determine whether something is political or not. And I think the biggest grey area when it comes to these statements in soccer probably concerns the, the display of poppies in the United King Kingdom. This is a debate every single year. 
from my perspective, gets a little bit tedious, but nonetheless, t- every 12 months it comes back around and we have the, the debate. And um, for anyone who doesn't know what that symbolises, the poppy is a, a universally recognised symbol in the UK to remember servicemen men and women who have died. And that uh, remembrance happens on a day called Armistice Day, which is in November. And over the last 10 years, football has decided it has a has a duty to, to be a representation of remembrance. So this remembrance happens Everywhere in society, I remember it happening in school. Uh, you would buy a, a poppy for a pound or whatever. You would wear it on your school uniform. So it's not just a soccer thing at all. You'll see them in poppies in supermarkets and so on for a couple of weeks in November. But basically, over the last 10 years, football has decided to take on more of this representation. And te- so basically what you have is teams in the Premier League and teams in Scotland and in other divisions in, in, in the UK, they will wear poppies on their, on, on their shirt for two or three weeks in November FIFA has uh, waded into this 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 uh, topic a couple times they've caused controversy um, in 2016 they caused controversy by judging poppies to be a political symbol and so they fined England Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland for their use of poppies in, in matches on the flip side of things the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland, they were also fined um, for displaying a political symbol for a badge commemorating the 100th anniversary of, of the, the uprising against British rule as well. There is a lot of grey area here and basically since that issue in 2016 where FIFA actually did fine the, the, the English, the Scottish, the Welsh and the Northern Irish FA, basically FIFA has turned a blind eye to club teams in particular displaying poppies. But I think also England have had poppies on their on their national team armbands. I think Scotland have done similar in the past. So basically FIFA caused such a, dis- a debate in 2016 that they've decided they're not going anywhere near this subject again. And so they turn a blind eye to it. Um, but yes, it's the greatest of grey areas. And then to complicate things further in Scotland, we have clubs that have fixed political identities which adds, yep. adds this whole additional layer and obviously there are there are loads of clubs around the world that have this as well Spain certainly has this with Barcelona and Real Madrid who are obviously symbols of, of national identity but in Scotland we have Rangers and Celtic Rangers very much aligned with the British establishment and by extension the, the British military and so they make a big deal of, of Armistice Day of Poppy Day they wear the biggest poppies possible they have a, a display from the British military at Ibrox on, on games that week and then you have Celtic who are anti-British establishment due to, due to their Irish republicanism links, and they don't wear poppies or, at all, or they, they don't do any of that stuff. So this this is just another example of how difficult yeah. it is to divide sport and politics, because you have so many clubs in the sport that are representati- representations of something overtly p- political, and then also it's very difficult to decide what is political. Is, is remembrance a, a political act? Because obviously you'll get people that will, that will say, you know, war is a political decision. Um, but are you just remembering people that have died? I think that is a societal discussion every year around uh, around Armistice Day. But soccer has kind of become a microcosm of that debate over the last ten years. I want to talk about the like foundational identity of clubs and how politics can be baked into that. First, I wanted to go back to the poppies for a moment because it, it, it's fascinating to me that while there is a debate about 
is the poppy a political statement? Is it in violation of FIFA law? As FIFA said, it was once briefly and then never again. But then it's it, within that, then there's the next debate of James McLean refusing to wear the poppy or even Nemanja Matic, who I don't feel like came under nearly as much fire uh, because he grew up in a war-torn country uh, and, and basically didn't want to celebrate war. So he refused to wear one, whereas McLean, uh, I believe, wears one because he is Irish and 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 connects it to... British uh, military involvement in in Ireland. And that seems to be where things I, I'm speaking very much out of school here, I should mm. add, because I am obviously not like steeped in this. But to me, it feels vaguely, vaguely reminiscent of the uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem protest, where somehow that became about he's disrespecting the troops. And yeah. there were connections made to the national anthem that he was not making. And then people are screaming about it over the top and, and sort of not discussing what's happening and why it's happening. And I think a calmer explanation of why he is refusing to wear the poppy uh, is, is to me, not nearly as controversial, but where I see it like spill over is when it becomes like he's disrespecting uh, all uh, like veterans of foreign wars and people who serve their country, and he doesn't care about the people who died in World War II. And that is clearly not what he's saying in my mind, and that Ireland took a position of neutrality, and that's unacceptable, and... People are bringing their own things to it, and maybe that's an argument for why politics shouldn't be in sport because then you don't have this sort of acrimonious debate like coloring a football match. But on the other hand, I probably wouldn't know nearly as much about uh, like relationships between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and the UK without – uh, this moment. That was kind of the first yeah. thing that was like, wait, what's happening here? Why is this happening when I was younger? And 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 so I think it 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 is at the same time useful in commemorating uh, moments or keeping attention on historical events that I think players or clubs feel like should be kept on it. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, and I, and I am going to editorialize a little bit here, this is my opinion. I think a lot of it just comes down to being a bit of a grown up about it. So if James McLean doesn't want to wear a poppy, he shouldn't be, he, sorry, shouldn't be allowed to, he, that, that's fine. That, that should be yeah. permitted. You know, it's his, it's his decision whether he wants to wear a poppy or not. Equally, if other players want to wear uh, a poppy, then, then that is also fine. I, I am interested if, if Premier League clubs are, in Scotland, Scottish Premiership clubs or whatever clubs display the poppy in their shirt. I am interested on how much, um, opinion they gauge from their players on whether they want to wear a poppy or not. You know, James McLean is clearly, feels very strongly uh, in his views and he has made clear to his club but I'm interested if you know the players just turn up on the dressing room and there is a poppy on their shirt or whether they actually go to the players and say would you like to wear a poppy or not and they and they get that decision I suspect a lot of them maybe don't get that decision I would would, and I would advocate that they should probably get that decision but yeah we spoke about this I can't remember when we spoke about this but we spoke about it on the podcast recently about maybe Britain in particular people in Britain losing sight of what it means to be respectful I know what it was about it was about the postponements around the the Queen's death basically and in Britain and uh, I don't know whether this is the case in America but it's it's more important to be seen to be respectful rather than actually being respectful and I think Mm -hmm. the poppy has become the the pure embodiment the pure encapsulation of that because I personally don't wear a poppy, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that I am showing disrespect to people who have died in wars. Of, of course, I'm not. You know, I, I, those people deserve remembrance. Not everyone that has fought in a war is is pro-war. You know, let's let's not forget how people are drafted into wars. You know, people don't really want to go to wars generally. I find it's not something that people want to do. Um, so yeah, I, I just think football needs to be a little bit more grown up about it. That's why I say it becomes tedious every year. You know, every 
every November we have this discussion, a certain player's not wearing a poppy, and then, you know, you have the talk sport discussion about how this player should be banned and how they're unpatriotic and how they're disrespecting the, the war dead. And I just don't think that is the case at all. But it's a, it's a debate that doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon in, in, in British football. Agreed. And I think there's there's two things there when it comes to respect. And I think you're absolutely right that there's immediately this response of like, oh, you don't have respect for the people who fought and died for this country and for global stability or whatever it may be. And that is obviously not what he's saying. And so right there, to your point, that's where I think there needs to be, you just need to be a little bit more grown up about it and understand the nuance of, no, that is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in this particular incident in incident or instance, I am not in favor of it. And, and I think that's okay. I also think for a person who is protesting as James McLean is or more recently the one that stands out to me is is when uh, Pussy Riot invaded the pitch at the World Cup final I believe it was and I remember when Daryl and I were covering that both of us not understanding the context of it we're like that's just a distraction that's just going to annoy people that's going to people turn people against your movement and ultimately what I think that perspective is is like you're not respecting the game you're not respecting the moment and 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 then understanding the context of it, uh, and if we had slowed down to be grown-ups and understand the context, you, you see it more as like, no, this is literally the only time that they will have that many eyes in a way that they can sort of like bring attention to the fact that Vladimir Putin is a despot who they don't think is doing a particularly good job of preserving civil rights in Russia and elsewhere, uh, amongst many other atrocities. And, and I mean, that's 2018. Here we are now. Like, I, I think I think there is an idea that you you must be respectful of the institution. I think oftentimes the institution saying that has a vested interest in you being respectful. And so I think, again, it requires nuance and, I don't know, a more rational approach, which maybe honestly brings about the idea of like, well, if we can't have that nuance, if we're not going to have nuance on Twitter uh, from football fans, maybe we should go back to banning politics entirely. And that leads me to, I think, what is the the major thing here is that so often we hear I just want it to go back to the way it used to be when there wasn't politics, when politics weren't so ingrained in every aspect of our lives and we didn't have to think about these things everywhere we went. And similar to when people say, make America great again, I want to go back to the good old days. Oftentimes when you ask them when those times were, they are pretty specifically not the good old days for certain groups of people. Uh, But then in this case, I would say, when would that be? Because... Go back to 1938 and look at that photo of the the English national team doing the the Nazi salute alongside yeah. the German national team. I would say that's a pretty overtly political statement. In my mind, politics has always been ingrained. I think we just have, as is the case with modern politics away from football, we have uh, the, the speed of transmission of ideas is so much faster. Twitter spreads those ideas and spreads those events. And it's why we know that Paul Mullen is protesting the Tory government. Like, I don't think we know that. 20 years ago because of information the information age has expanded so rapidly but but i think it's always been there just maybe a bit more delayed yeah absolutely and i think you can see that in my research for this you i I went back and looked through some examples of political protests and messages in soccer and there are things like the 1938 world cup and you go through the 60s and 70s there are always cases in each decade but then you look over the last 15 years and there there are loads of cases and i think that's just or listed cases and i think that's just down to awareness of those cases like you say social media and the speed that which news travels and the fact that we know about things that are happening in you know 
Argentinian football a, a, a lot more than maybe we did in, in, in the past or certain parts of the world that maybe don't get that much coverage in decades gone by. But now we, as I say, we have social media. So I don't know, maybe I'm going to contradict myself a little bit later when we discuss whether soccer is becoming more political, but I absolutely agree. You know, soccer has always been political and um, I, I don't know if you can un- untangle that now. And I don't know whether you should untangle that now. It very much feels like a, a part of the sport, whether you like it or not really yeah i i agree because i think if you go back to when the like the sport was first created and the popularity first spread it's in those like sort of posh british schools is where it's very much institutionalized and you have more organized football and a lot of that has to do with wearing out the students uh before we started recording graham i was looking for a quote it's from uh, ap bio uh, the tv show and it's when the principal tries to is has to do budget cuts and the first place he goes is to cut uh physical education and the gym teacher responds do you know what i do here i tire out the boys do you know what a bunch of hopped up boys would do to this school and that is genuinely what like i think football was meant to be it was meant to be a distraction to tire uh uh young people out but also to tire them out so that they didn't pursue other endeavors and that could be like uh like relationships and 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 sexual misadventures but i think it was also to basically stop people from publicly protesting and getting angry and getting into fights and you look at factory workers and factory teams that would be created sometimes that would lead to union unions and things like that sometimes it would lead to basically we're going to tire you guys out and have you like uh, like focus on football so that you're not focused on uh like forming a collective to fight for better wages or more rights. And I think in that way, politics mm. has always been involved in it. And then you do get those clubs that then become uh, org- organizational fronts for larger political movements and social movements. And I think you can't really separate the two. I think they're uh, yeah. like inexorably linked. Yeah, and when you look at national teams in particular, I mean, national teams, is there a better public front-facing embodiment of of a of a nation than it than its football team I'm, I'm i'm not sure there there is so it's it's always likely that people are going to try and attach certain things to those national teams we're seeing it at the moment with uh, jair bolsonaro mm-hmm. who has kind of weaponized the the brazilian national team shirt and has got a number of uh, both current and 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 former players. So I, I'm pretty sure Danny Alves is, is is one of them. I think Alison Becker, the Liverpool goalkeeper, has endorsed Bolsonaro. Um, I don't know whether this is entirely true. So I'm not inter- I'm, I'm not sure if I should mention it. But I saw on social media this week that Neymar is going to dedicate his his first goal at the World mm, Cup, assuming he scores a goal at this World Cup to to Bolsonaro. Again, I haven't seen that from from him, him, you know his own social channels or whatever like that. I haven't seen a quote, but nonetheless, I saw someone tweet that out. Someone who I know is a reporter in Brazil, so I, I presume there's some for- form of uh, authenticity in, in in that and some validity. Um, so you have Bolsonaro, and then in, in July 2014, you have FIFA fining the, the Argentine FA for the the players standing behind a banner bearing the the slogan that basically said the Fol- the Falklands are 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 Argentine on a pitch before a, a game in Buenos Aires. It was a game against Slovenia. Um, and often, often a slight tangent. If you watch the the, the Maradona documentary from a few years ago, mm-hmm. it provides a good insight on how the Falklands War was such a, a motivating factor for that Argentina team against England at the 1986 World Cup. And in fact, you have Maradona later saying that the hand of God was symbolic revenge sure. for the Falklands the Falklands War. Uh, of course, he he planned that all out. You know that he he, he envisaged that before the game. But nonetheless, national teams. It's just. 
the, it's in the name, you know, they, they are they are an encapsulation, they are a representation or a reflection of a nation. And so politicians are always going to try, whether they should or, or not, they're always going to try yeah. and attach other things to that. Yeah. And, and I think to your earlier point as well, when you then also have clubs that are genuinely founded along a political ideology, that also is going to then be utilized. So Lazio famously very right wing. I think if you're a right wing politician in Italy, you are going to maybe wear a Lazio shirt or you're maybe going to court Lazio supporters. Uh, maybe a left-wing politician goes after Roma fans, uh, by contrast. But that, that sort of, that's nothing new. Livorno in Italy is founded by, I believe, a left-wing communist group. They still sing pro-communist yeah. songs. You, you will get that everywhere. Uh, Hopwell uh, Tel Aviv, again, you'll see uh, communist iconography, and that I would say, invites uh, the rise of Beitar Jerusalem, the right-wing club in, in Israel. So you, I think there's always going to be political uh, like ideology baked into certain clubs in certain ways. Not all clubs, certainly, but Celtic and Rangers would yeah. be another one of those too. Well, that, yeah, that, I mean, that, as, as a Scottish football fan, when I hear that, you know, we need to separate mm-hmm. soccer and politics. As, as someone who lives in a country that is dominated by Celtic and Rangers, my answer to that is basically, good luck. Let's see how <laughs> yeah. that goes. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're just so... They're, they're, they're so soaked into the, the DNA. Politics is so soaked into the, the DNA of, of not just those two clubs in Scotland, but other clubs in Scotland as well, that to separate out the two, you would, you would basically need to start new clubs entirely with entirely new identities. It's just impossible to separate those two things. I, yeah, I entirely agree. This is where it gets tricky for me. And if people who uh, were, were going to be angry us, at us on Twitter, uh, hopefully they're still listening because I think this is a thing that they've been maybe wondering or screaming, screaming this entire time, is what happens when it's a political message you don't agree with? And I think that is a very fair point to raise because uh, who, who is uh, running against Bolsonaro? Uh, Lula. Lula, thank you. I, I keep wanting to say Libby, and I know that's not it. Lula. Um, so Richarlison, I believe, is a Lula supporter. If Richarlison filmed a TikTok video where he's saying vote for Lula, I personally probably wouldn't have an issue with it. When it's Neymar doing it for Bolsonaro, I do have this like, ah, oh, man, come on. What are you doing? That guy? Yeah. And and I think right there, it shows that like we're all going to be comfortable with the the things that like go along with our beliefs and less comfortable with the things that don't. Uh, and that is always with, to go back to the iron front debate. I think that was Alexi Lalas's point was, well, what happens if I go to the other end and fly a like vote Trump banner? What, like, is that protected speech? Is that okay? And I would say, first of all, that's an, an overtly political slogan. But uh, the one that gets that I hear a lot is uh, players carrying the Palestine flag. And what happens if a player wants to carry the, the Israeli flag? Are we going to protest that? Are we going to be upset about it? In my opinion, is that it's basically if you want political speech in one way, then you have to be okay with it in the other way. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't entitle that person to uh, how do I how do I put this? It doesn't mean that they won't have repercussions for their actions. That seems to be what people I think oftentimes get frustrated with is like I'm being canceled for what I've said and my freedom of speech. You have the freedom to say what you want to say, but that doesn't mean you are free from the repercussions. And and that to me is ultimately where I think some of the 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 dialogue just kind of flies off the rails is that there's this idea that there aren't repercussions for what's said or that there shouldn't be people being held accountable. Uh, looking at like the, the poppies or Bolsonaro or even uh, Carl Henry, uh, the former player now retired, 
he takes to Twitter fairly often to criticize uh, uh, labor in in the UK. But mm-hmm. he v- vote conservative, and why are you all? You all should just work hard and make money, and then you wouldn't have to complain about these things. Is more or less a tweet that, a tweet that he actually wrote, or quote, I guess, if you're writing a tweet in the past tense. Um, and I don't see. Uh, nearly as many uh, daily newspapers in England criticizing that political speech, but mm. you will when Gary Lineker comes out and says something that is more pro-labor. And so I, I think it's it's okay for footballers to express their beliefs and their opinions, and they should, but that doesn't mean that they're free from the repercussions, and we've seen what those repercussions can be. So I think that's where it gets especially tricky, but ultimately yeah. I think screaming about it just a little bit less, turning the volume down a little bit less or a little bit more is ultimately probably the way that it doesn't become too involved in sport. Yeah, so to answer th- this this uh, this question, if there was a question in there, actually, I'm not sure there but was. I, I, <laughs> yeah, to 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 give my kind of opinion on this, I, I am going to go back to Bolsonaro because I think the 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 cases of that um, that political debate and the way that he has used football gives me some some good examples, some good case studies. So. Uh, Danny Alves, Alison Becker, th- those players that have backed Bolsonaro, um, tweeting or expressing their support for Bolsonaro. While I disagree with that personally, I would defend their right to to do that. Um, where it becomes a little bit trickier for me is where Bolsonaro is. As I said, he's weaponized the, the Brazilian national team shirt that has very much become an icon and a symbol of being a Bolsonaro supporter. I don't like that because basically that is kind of imposing uh, certain connotations, political yeah, views that's fair, that's on a, a group of people, a whole country. And as we've seen by the fact that the, the Bolsonaro Lula uh, presidential election has gone on to, gone to runoff, that is that is a divided country at the moment. And so I would say that is, un, that is unfair to weaponize something like that in, in favor um, of one political candidate. So absolutely, I completely defend free speech, even when that free speech is, is not agreeable to me. As you said, keeping people accountable is, is key to this, this debate. I would always say, well, if you have, if, if, if you're expressing certain views, then they should be held accountable for those views. Um, but yeah, as I say, it, there are certain, there's certain weaponization of um, icons and symbols, um, to do with football that, that, that doesn't sit so well with me. Just wear the away shirt. That's what I would say. Just, just, just don't wear the, the home shirt. Wear the away shirt. And that's how you show your, uh, your, uh, support for Lula. Uh, so Graham, this all then leads to the question of, do we feel like politics are more intertwined with sport than they've ever been? Is this a, it's, it's certainly not a yeah. recent development, but is it a, a more rapid development in our lifetime? Yeah, so I do think soccer is becoming more political, not necessarily out of choice, but because soccer isn't getting much say Mm -hmm. in the matter. It's getting more political because you have sovereign wealth funds and oil-rich autocratic states buying clubs like Man City and Newcastle and PSG, and you have the the World Cup being hosted by Russia and then Qatar Mm -hmm. in back-to-back tournaments, men's World Cups, which is obviously uh, just a little bit ridiculous, (laughs) a bit of a doomsday scenario for football there. The Spanish Super Um, Cup being played in Saudi Arabia, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you can't really talk about all that without being political. It's central to the, to the whole discussion. So that's a big reason why it feels like soccer is becoming more political. And I, I can actually understand why it's not my opinion, but I can understand why some people get tired of intensely polit- political debates like the one around sports washing mm-hmm. and soccer at the moment. It is exhausting. And I can understand why some people would just sit down in front of the TV and think, I just want to watch some some sport and kind of turn off because it's a form of escapism for most people. But the, the there are a lot of there are a lot of things that make that impossible 
unfortunately. And I, and I, I in in the specific case of uh, sports washing, I I do wish it wasn't part of soccer. That would make things a lot easier, and it would ease my own conscience because mm-hmm. we are all complicit complicit in a sense when we watch these clubs and we talk about them. We did listener questions this week. We talked about how good Newcastle's team is at the moment. Unfortunately, we kind of have to talk about how good Newcastle's team is. On the flip side of that, I still feel like we have a duty to rep to 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 recognise what is going on with that club at the moment and why they have Saudi Arabian owners at the moment so that's the sports washing right there is talking about those teams and so we're all complicit in that um, but as I say I do yeah. feel we have a duty to provide the full picture and not just a little bit of it and that comes back to people again because soccer is about people and people are p- political uh, inherently yeah. and you can't really separate those things yeah I agree I think I think politics is more intertwined in everything than, than it's ever been I think movies pop culture sport whatever it may be I think it's more involved I, I think at the same time to your point, Graham, what I think it, it, it requires to me is just more nuance and more rational conversation, more rational thought. Because Lazio, for example, I already talked about, very uh, right wing, have like fascistic history, uh, will we'll do the Nazi salute on occasion. I think less frequently these days, but still, like when, when, when I see it's a kind of pod. If I see a Lazio <laughs> shirt being worn in the United States, I'm immediately like, what, what are you advertising? What are you telling me? Mm. And I think. The reason why I bring that up is to say that when we talk about Lazio, you're never going to hear me be like, what a great club. What a model of a club. They are like show the way you should operate. I'm not going to say that about Man City or Newcastle either. I can talk about the way they've gone about building their academy or structuring the development of their players or the recruitment team they've put in place. And I can be very specific. But I think oftentimes we want it to be easier because then it's easier to talk about. We want it to be they're just a great club who are run the right way. And so then we can celebrate them and talk about them happily. And we don't have to get into all of the the dirt and grime that is that goes on behind the scenes. But I think that is a thing that that we have to do. We have to talk about because otherwise you're sort of, in my mind, doing exactly what they want. It's why they bought those teams, is so that you celebrate the achievement and don't look at maybe how they got there. And I think that works both ways. And I think it requires then gentle correction so that oftentimes I might praise a player or a club that I don't know has said something or done something or felt a certain way, whatever it may be. And I think it, it, it's useful to me when people respond and say like, hey, you might not have seen this or like, hey, here's why I don't like that guy or here's a story or whatever it may be. And I think it helps people understand more. What I think also can happen is uh, if I say, man, Lazio are playing really well this season, I will get a message that's like, I'm, I'm sad that you're praising a fascist team. And it's like, I, do you think that's what I was doing? Was I praising fascism there? Or was I talking about the players on the field? And I think taking arguments to extremes is never going to help. But sort of trying to provide that necessary context in as useful and rational and calm of a way as possible is where you can find some balance. Yeah, and I think with the Newcastle United discussion in particular, this has been a source of frustration for me where I have I have uh, voiced my opposition to a Premier League team being owned by uh, Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund. And then Newcastle United fans or some Newcastle United fans will take that as an attack on kind of the Newcastle United yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. And that's not it at all. In fact, Newcastle United, in terms of their community, 
is and and uh, that that club in general is is actually one of my favourite in, in the Premier League. I've been mm-hmm. to Newcastle United games. I love those. I love those fans. I love the atmosphere that they 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 create. I think there's a a natural connection between uh, Geordies and Scots in in particular. So Newcastle United has always been one of my favourite clubs. I I just think the source of frustration comes from when when fans think an attack on their owners or their ownership structure or the intent of their owners is an attack on the fans and the club as a whole. That is not the case at all. And as going along similar lines to what you were saying there just a little bit of nuance yeah. from some from some fans maybe where they recognize yeah our our, our owners are uh, not particularly great people but that doesn't stop me from supporting yeah. my club and i think we said that earlier this week or maybe it was last week that's a that's a personal decision for fans to make um i just wish there's as you say there was a little bit more nuance to the yeah. debate uh in researching uh, a question for our listener question show this week uh we're recording this the week of october 26th or that's the day we're recording this uh there was i saw two different posts on the newcastle reddit uh f- forum one of which was like is anyone else here so tired of people just like uh attributing the success we've had this season to oil money like it's so much more than that which is true and then a few uh posts down was one that was basically just like like I don't care what people say I love this oil money it's made us competitive and right there it's like you see see the difference see how you all are yourselves <laughs> debating this and I think this is a case where things can be two things things can two things can be true that Newcastle can have had massive success because of the influx of oil money and the and the regime behind it but at the same time it still requires players to play a manager to manage them a recruitment team to find the best possible players and so you can have a team that is deserving of praise while also being cautious about being overly praising of the ownership structure and the way they've gone about making things happen and I think again nuance is part of that nuance is probably a good thing to have when it comes to politics in general, but certainly politics and sport. Uh, so, Graham, I, I feel like we've covered that as much as I feel comfortable discussing it. Uh, how say you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if anyone is still listening by this yeah. point, but uh, amongst ourselves, I feel like we have we have covered all bases, I think. Yeah, and, and I would say my, my last thing, now that you've said that, I'll just dig us a little bit deeper by saying, I, I think... <laughs> Oh, good. As we talk about nuance, we will. All, I'll also say that with that comes the the common sense approach, the Supreme Court uh, approach to pornography. Of I know it when I see it. If there is a a a, a rainbow flag in the stands, that might be political. It might not be political. But I I, I think I have a a harder time like understanding why you would want to legislate against that versus if there is a fan group flying a just straight up Nazi flag, if there's a swastika right there, I think like that seems to be the ridiculous extreme that people take the argument is um, I forget who it was. There was uh, one of the like the videos I watched about this topic was going back to players having the the flag of Palestine. Uh, somebody, a pundit commented like, well, if they want to do that, shouldn't the uh, owner of Chelsea, Abramovich, who at the time was residing in Israel, like, shouldn't he be allowed to have his players come out for warmups wearing like IDF uniforms? And it's just like, do you think that's the logical counterpoint? Like, really? Like, you know, you're taking that to a ridiculously extreme example. And I think right there, ridiculously extreme, opposite of nuance. So that one, I feel comfortable uh, closing the door to uh, putting some earbuds in and not having to hear it. And maybe that's always a good thing. Put your earbuds in, listen to some music, don't listen to people scream about politics. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, there should be a Spotify playlist that is just com- called Common Sense, and I would... Uh- <laughs> 
I would implore people when they're having this this, this discussion, this debate, maybe just to listen to that playlist uh, while they're want, thinking about this. I want, I want that playlist to just be like calm, nuanced takes, like in a gentle voice of iron brew is delicious unless you think it isn't, in which case you don't have to drink it. Track two. Like, like you just keep it moving that way. I, it's just I, very. I can't buy that opinion. That's See, not what I'm go. on board with. Graham's already protesting. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've gone the opposite direction. I apologize for that, Graham. I never meant any slight uh, towards Iron Brew, obviously. <laughs> Gra- sure. Graham Ruffin, thank you very much for uh, talking this one out with me. I feel like we did about as good of a job as I am comfortable saying we could do. Uh, but thank you again <laughs> for talking out politics and sport with me. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Yeah, it's undoubtedly a, a, a tricky subject, but as we said at the top of the show, probably one that is worth highlighting. Any listeners who are still listening, the the four <laughs> or five of you out there who haven't turned this off at this point, uh, we very much appreciate it. Let us know if you made it all the way through, uh, ideally with a, a thumbs up and not a, a middle finger emoji. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But for now, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you all again next week. 